Okay, we're, we're, we're in lesson 11. Remember, to understand what's going on here, when you look at 2 Corinthians, you have to keep in mind that he's not writing a letter to a bunch of folks who are real excited and happy about him. He's writing a letter to a bunch of folks who are really, I would say, that are confused about him. They're confused about the Apostle Paul. They've had other teachers come, primarily Judaizers, who've come into the church who are denouncing Paul, who are questioning his credibility, who are questioning the things that Paul does. Like, for instance, in a few weeks here, we're going to see that they're going to question the fact that Paul doesn't take money from them. Because the other teachers do. Why don't you, Paul? You know, so Paul gives them the defense about how he handles money and so forth, and why he does what he does. And so, when you get into this chapter... You have to keep that in the back of your mind because really what's going on here is Paul's laying down a philosophy of ministry to them and helping them to understand that really this is the reason why he does what he does. And they should understand that because ultimately they are there because of him, because he's the one who planted the church. So let's look at uh, verses 3 through 10. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, by, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So, the first thing I want you to notice, he defends his ministry and so the first thing he does is Paul tells him that he purposely avoided actions that might bring offense. He purposely avoided actions that might bring offense. He purposely lived his life in a way that he would try to avoid actions that would bring offense. Now, when we talk about actions that would bring offense, we're talking about he would live his life publicly in a way to avoid actions. And here's what he's saying he doesn't want to bring offense to. He's saying that he avoided these actions so that no one would discredit his ministry. He avoided these actions so that no one would discredit his ministry. And remember I told you that every one of you here have a ministry whether you realize it or not. If you profess the name of Jesus Christ, you have a ministry. Because think about where you work, think about where you play, think about where you shop, think about where you do business, think about where you live. You have a ministry. It's not just me who's the minister who has a ministry. Every one of you have a ministry. You have a ministry towards each other. You have a ministry outside with the rest of the world, the unsaved world. You have a ministry. Every one of you. And so because of that, you and I need to, like Paul, 
purposely live our lives so that we don't bring offense to our what? Ministry. Now, of course, let me say, this is Paul's standard. This is the what we're trying to attain. This is what we're trying to attain. Because the fact of the matter is, can you do it perfectly? No. No, but, but because you can't do it perfectly, though, that doesn't give you a license, though, to just go ahead and say, oh, I'll just do whatever then. So, that's what Paul's saying here then. So, the purpose of his actions is so that he would not discredit his ministry. Why? He tells us why. Paul wanted every area of his life to reflect that he was a minister of God. Think about that. This is what motivated Paul. He wanted every area of his life to reflect that he was a minister of Paul. You know what? In fact, I, you know, I should have dropped the word minister when I wrote this up. Because really, the word minister there is not what we have in, in my, When you think of a minister, what do you think of? You. you me. Yeah. Missionary or a preacher. You know, somebody like that. That is not a New Testament concept. When Paul talks about a minister, he is talking about really a servant. He's talking about a servant. He's talking about someone like him who is what? Serving Christ. And so when he says he wanted every area of his life to reflect that he was a servant of Christ or a servant of God. Does that motivate you? Can I be honest with you? If you're like me, and you probably are in some ways. You probably don't think about it. Am I right? You mean you don't think about it sometimes? Yeah, I mean, if you think about going through our everyday normal life, you can get to the place where you just get used to things. that you, The concept of you being a servant of God is what? The farthest thing from your mind. You're just living your life. You know, you're like Rod. You're you're a contractor, or you know, like Bruce. You're a salesperson, or Joy, a bank teller, you know, or Mike, retired, which means you're busier than ever, or or Gary here, a mechanic. So, and you you don't think in terms of well, I'm a servant of God, but you are. See, Paul. That's what motivated him. Is as he got up in the morning, it's like, Lord, what can I do to serve you today? That was his concept, because he was a servant of God. That was his purpose for his actions. Now he's going to talk about enduring in ministry. Because if you're going to serve God, you're going to realize that it isn't going to be wonderful and sweet. If you're going to be a servant of God, or as the, as the scripture tells us here, a minister... If you're going to be a servant of God and serve God with your life in your workplace and where you are. And let me just say this. Let me make this point. I want you to realize something. You are where you are at. Work-wise, where you live, in the community you are, in the family you are, because God divinely put you there. You understand that? God's sovereignty puts you where you're at. You are there for a purpose. Do you realize that? Maybe you've never thought of that before. 
God in His sovereignty and His will puts you where you're at for you to serve Him there with your life as a testimony to others concerning Jesus Christ. We need to grasp the reality of that. You know, even if you're in a job right now that you hate, you need to hate it plus realize this is where God put you. This is where God put you. And, and understand that, that His sovereignty is in there. And so when you understand that as a minister, as, as you are serving God where you are at, it's not always, in fact, can I be honest with you, the Bible doesn't say it's going to be nice. If anything, and this is what amazes me, because I think about my life and I think about most North American Christians, we have this concept of, well, I should be okay. I'm in a Christian country. Everything should be wonderful. No, you haven't read the Bible lately. Didn't Jesus say that they would persecute you as they persecute him? So I want you to notice, Paul's going to go through a list of things here. Areas of endurance that he had to face as he did ministry. And so you get the, you get the impression that being a servant of Jesus in this life isn't going to be wonderful. It isn't going to be wonderful. So I want you to notice with me verse 4 and 5. We'll look at the areas of endurance first of all. Notice what he says here. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And here's what he says. In much patience, which another word translation is endurance, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes. Now, if you don't understand what stripes is, stripes is the being whipped. Literally, you know, they would, uh, public punishment in that day was to be stripped down and basically whipped in public. Stripes. Imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. That's going without food. So what is he saying? Paul, again, he wanted to reflect that he was a minister of God. Remember, he wanted his life to reflect that he was a minister of God. Here's what he's saying. Paul reflected his ministry in all manner of hardship and persecution. Because it would be easy for us to say, well, boy, I, I want to reflect that I love Jesus in every area. And, it, and we'll do that when what? When things are good. But if you turn up the heat on the frying pan, though, the chances are we might lose it, won't we? In fact, you know, I've been around long enough now to know that whenever there's a problem, the first thing we do as Christians... Whenever we enter into a difficult circumstance, this is the first thing we do. We blame God. Why did you let this happen to me? And so we forget about serving Him for the moment. We start blaming God. Like, for some reason, God decided to make your life pretty bad because this is not the way it was supposed to be, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the problem with that. He never promised any of us that it would be good. He never promised any of us that it would be pain-free. 
He never promised any of you that you wouldn't be falsely accused, that you wouldn't have somebody steal from you, that you wouldn't have somebody abuse you in some way. He didn't promise you any of that stuff. Nobody promised you that. People are You live in a wicked world. Everybody understand that? You live in an evil, wicked world. And the God of this world, who is in control of this world, wants to destroy you and your family because you love God. Does everybody understand that? He wants to destroy you. And so you live in a wicked world. And so what does that mean? That means that when you live this life, in this life right now, you're going to have a life of what? Hardship. Problems. Difficulty. But see, here's the thing. We've bought into the American dream, and that's wonderful. You can buy into the American dream, but you've got to keep the American dream in a Christian perspective. The American dream is is that you can have whatever you want and have the life that you want to have. And that's the wonderful thing about this country. But I'll be honest with you. That is not biblical. Because this isn't paradise. Paradise is coming. This life is filled with hardship and pain and suffering for you and I. And we got to understand that. But our, our first, but we, somehow we've forgotten that. Somehow it's like we've overlooked that part of the Bible that, oh, that's something that the Apostle Paul went through. We've kind of grown out of that stuff now. No, we haven't. When's the last time you looked at the news? I mean, really looked at the news and looked at decisions that are coming down the pike about your faith in this country. When's the last time you did that? Can I be honest with you? Probably you won't see it in your generation. I'll be surprised. I won't be surprised if it does happen. But in your children and grandchildren's generation? Because all you got to do is look at the history of the world. At one time, the ability to do what we're doing right now won't exist anymore. Because what we believe will be viewed as, and it's already starting, as being an evil. As an evil. You say, what do you mean? All you got to do is look at the early church. When they persecuted Christians back then, they thought that they were doing God a favor by getting rid of them. Because they were the problem in the community. We were the problem? Yes. Hey, all you got, look at the news. I mean, now when you run for office in our country, to say that you go to church may automatically mark you as being unfit for service now, isn't it? That's what's happening here. And so we need to wake up to the concept that let's not get too comfortable with where we're at. We're just passing through. We're just passing through and we need to endure in ministry and we need to reflect that even in all manner of hardship and persecution, and it's going to happen, Explain, just believe it, it's going to happen. Oh, you're just, you're just, you're just being uh, grandiose in your presentation, George. No. Hey, can I ask you a question? Outside of North America, that is Canada and the United States. If you are a believer in any other part of the world, or maybe exception of Europe, although that's not true anymore either there. 
Why is it that every other Christian in the world is literally going through hell on earth, through persecution, suffering, martyrdoms, and we have this special exemption? Anybody know why? There is no reason why. Because we're not exempt. We've endured peace for a moment. But you just need to look at the news and wake up to the reality. It's coming, people. You are going to be persecuted for your faith. Maybe not you, but the generation ahead of us. So, like, when I look at my kids, Lori and I were talking about this the other day. We sat there and said, well, what's it going to be like for our kids? So you need to think that. You need to think in terms of that. Because when you look at what's happening, life for us as Christians is going to change. It already is changing. So all you got to do is look. And and, and it's time for us to get our heads out of the sand. And so we need to recognize our life here is not going to be perfect and wonderful. If anything, it's going to be hardship. It's going to be hardship. But Paul says, even in spite of that, he maintains and reflects that he's a minister of God. So then, Paul says that he reflected his ministry in all manner of hardship and persecution. Then, notice what the source of his endurance was. How did he endure that, though? This is where you and I have got to understand. If, If we're going to endure in this world because it isn't paradise... And this world is going to be anti-you because it's anti-God. And remember now, here, you say, why? Why?" Remember, the God of this world, Ephesians chapter 2, talked about, about the state of unbelievers. It says that they were directed by who? Satan. See, don't believe what Hollywood says, that you've got to sell your soul to the devil before you're the devil's. That's Hollywood. That's not the Bible. The Bible says that if you're not saved, you belong to Satan. Period. And you'll do what he tells you to do. He knows the buttons to push in your life. He's a button pusher. To get you to do what you need to do. And so, because of that, the world is going to... He's pushing the buttons to persecute who? Us. You and I. You and I. So then, let's move on then. So how do we endure? Here's what he says. He endured because of the resources that are available through spiritual disciplines. Notice what he says here. Verse 6. By purity, that's how he lived his life. By knowledge, what knowledge? A knowledge of facts? No, a knowledge of God. By what? By long-suffering. That's patience. Long-suffering here is not just being patient with, patient with people. It's talking about by being patient in general to the hardship that's around you. Being long-suffering. Notice something else he says there. By kindness. Didn't Jesus say that when they would persecute you, what, you're to turn the other cheek? You're to love your enemies? By kindness. That's how you endure, by kindness. Notice something. By the Holy Spirit. Greater is He, He just talked about this earlier, that is in you than He who is what? In the world. Okay, continue on there. By sincere love. You're going to be able to endure this by sincerely loving people because you recognize 
Even though that person may be persecuting you, that guy at work is just relentless with you about your, about your faith. He doesn't care less and he's constantly belittling, constantly belittling you. You can still love him because you recognize the reason why he's that way is because he doesn't know Jesus. And if he knew Jesus, God would radically change his life. And so by sincere love, here's another one. Look at verse 7 now. By the word of truth. Hey, you want to know what will help you endure? This. And so what he's saying here is, is that I'm able to endure. I'm able to endure this because I have resources that are available to me. And listen, when he talked about the Bible, the word of truth, he was talking about the Old Testament. You and I have the New Testament. That's what it was able to help him to endure through it. Okay, so let's just stop there. We'll finish up next week. Let's close our time in prayer.